One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Today, using revenge, we teach why you never mess with old people. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, office revenge on a Karen who didn't think my girlfriend's baking was up to par. My girlfriend is currently being her adorable self and baking in the kitchen. She's doing her thing with the hangover on in the background and her favorite giant bear hoodie on. I think today she's just using hood lemon bar recipe. If you don't know, then check it out. Bloody delicious. Reminded me of this from a few years ago. Girlfriend and I worked for the same company in different areas on different floors. This was pre-COVID. Girlfriend loves baking and sharing more than eating the stuff herself. Also, big news for those who have read my previous posts. Girlfriend has moved in. Man, I am ecstatic. Girlfriend would bring in her goods maybe three times a week. The head of her department, Matt, got a little tin and made a little sign. Something like, if you enjoyed a treat, please leave a contribution so girlfriend can keep baking. Then there was Karen. I go down to my girlfriend's floor one day to talk to someone, and the vibe is off. Girlfriend looks kind of withdrawn. People are buzzing. Matt looks furious. The treats are on Matt's desk. Turns out someone emptied the contribution tin and left a note saying the last few baked goods weren't up to par. So they'd emptied the tin as a form of a refund for past contributions. Girlfriend had a hard night, thought about baking something gross as revenge, got upset thinking maybe her baking really is crap, considered stopping altogether. I told her to consider stop giving them away for free. Next day I'm called into a meeting, most of upper management, client services, etc., We're talking about the baking in the note, and people were ticked. I'd love to say it was because girlfriend was universally adored, as she should be, but it was mostly the bullying and how the baked goods were free for our company, but great for our morale. Matt spoke to girlfriend and basically said if she wanted to keep baking, he'd love it. And a few colleagues had decorated an empty desk on the third floor, specifically for people to share their baked goods. Under a camera. Near my team. Girlfriend is a professional, but man, she almost cracked when she saw the table. I'll have to try to find a picture. The tin was replaced with a tiny padlock. Next time Karen appeared for a treat, a woman from my team jumped up and stopped her, telling her that they weren't up to par, and basically told her to freak off. More people started baking, and Matt would share out the pound contributions. A picture of the table full of amazing goodies even made it to our website for a while. Karen ended up putting in a complaint about her entire floor. Apparently, every time she tried leading a training session, people started telling her that her teachings weren't up to par. She tried smoothing it over, not by apologizing, but by bringing in a tray of cheap donuts with a stupid sign saying that no contribution was needed. These were actually good and free. Those donuts had exactly two taken, one by Karen and the other returned with one bite missing and a note that said, not up to par. Matt even called the next team outing, who's up to par, T. Apparently, Karen started complaining that she was trying to inspire her girlfriend to do better, that buying her own treats was way more expensive, and she needed the little treat to keep going some days, that now more people were baking, so really she'd inspired them, that she didn't know how to get past my team, who she couldn't insult and historically sucked up to. Karen tried demanding the snacks move back downstairs, but was told the note was deemed bullying and the downstairs canteen without cameras wasn't up to par. This went on until COVID hit. Freak Karen, and my girlfriend's baking is the chest. 
I'm not gonna lie, this Karen is the worst kinds of Karen. It's one thing if they're all entitled, they want something for themselves, but the kinds that go around and trash things because they don't want other people to be happy and only for that reason are the worst. It's like a humanized plague walking around. I mean, nothing makes you frown more than turning the corner and being face to face with a Karen like that. And the sad thing is they're probably thrilled about that reaction. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy awesome stories of revenge, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below. That said, our next story is, want to keep grabbing the back of my airplane seat now? I recently took a flight from Germany to Macedonia. Not even leaving the gate, I felt my seat shaking. Turning around, I saw a man grabbing the back of my seat. He saw me, removed his hand, and I thought that was that. But no, he repeated this act multiple times within the next 10 minutes. Each time, I'd lean back trying to press against his hand, making him retract it. After the plane took off, the shaking resumed. I looked back again, but this time he was only grabbing the very top, out of my hand's reach. I dramatically turn around, looking back from the aisle. He's just looking and talking to a woman three rows back, presumably his partner. They'd likely opted for the cheaper, random seat selection, hence the distance. When our eyes met, he'd pulled his hand away. By this point, he'd done this at least 20 times, and I was getting irritated to say the least. The next time I felt the shaking, pretending to stretch, I wet my fingers with a generous lick, near spit on them, grabbed the back of my seat, and just doused his hand. Needless to say, he didn't touch my seat for the remainder of the flight. Was I wrong? Didn't know how to get the point across not to keep shaking my seat after many failed attempts. I mean, I'm not gonna lie, pretty horrendously gross, but it was a indirect way of dealing with it. I mean, a lot of people would probably say you could have signaled down a flight attendant, but it's really awkward because the person behind you is clearly going to see the flight attendant and you don't want to, like, engage in anything that creates a platform for them to really have a confrontation, like, gives them room to speak. This next story is, joking for my parking space? I'll walk. Just read another post that reminded me of this. I was visiting my mom in the hospital a while ago, and parking in the hospital grounds is crazy expensive, so I circled round and eventually found a space on a street just outside. When I get back to my car, a guy sees me getting into my car and starts laying into the horn and shouting. He'd been looking for a space for ages and to hurry the freak up and leave. He also had a girl in the car that looked less than thrilled to be with him, so I did what anyone would do. I locked my car again and walked away. Real talk though, if anybody's legitimately gone to the hospital for any kind of operation, test, checkup, whatever, there's never any spots except for the ones literally like a five minute walk away from the main entrance. So while I don't endorse this guy being a jerk, I kind of understand his desire of seeing somebody go to their car and being like, yes, thank God, a close enough spot. Our next story is, I feel bad about my petty revenge. I'm not proud of my act of petty revenge. It happened about 15 years ago, and I feel quite guilty now. I suppose I'm posting this as a warning to future... Revengers? That things can go wrong. So years... Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s, and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy, and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that, after finishing a small questionnaire, will match you with a licensed therapist, where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. To go when I was 18, my girlfriend and I went on an all-inclusive holiday to Spain for two weeks. We were having a great time for the first week, but one day, a new family arrived. Immediately, you could tell they were gross. They would get seriously drunk and roughhouse each other, play fighting in the pool and overtly mocking everyone else around. As luck would have it, not. They were in the room next to us. They were so loud and just the worst, drinking and banging the walls till the early hours. At this hotel, everyone had to put a towel at the bottom of their door to stop these cockroach-type bugs coming into their room. As soon as the family moved into next door, every morning our towel had been pulled away from our door overnight. It must have been their little game to mess with us. Anyway, one night I went out into the hallway and pulled their towel back, squirted suntan oil under their door, and put a towel back. My plan was they would come back drunk, and as they stumbled through their door after pulling my towel away, they would slip over like in a cartoon. They came back that night, the usual shouting, etc. Heard them pull my door towel away in hysterical laughing. The door opens, and after a few seconds, slap the unmistakable sound of fat flesh slapping floor tiles, and then screaming. I've got to be honest, me and my girlfriend were crying laughing at our revenge at first, but the screaming didn't stop for what felt like hours. We didn't see or hear from them for the next day and forgot all about it. And then we saw them at the pool. The dad, who was about 45, was sitting looking seriously grumpy with a huge cast the whole way up his leg. I'm talking ankle to upper thigh. The whole family looked gutted. We saw out our last few days and went home. Now that I'm older... I can't help thinking that the injury probably wasn't covered by holiday insurance, so potentially financially ruined a family holiday. It's one of those revenge ideas that sounds great in a Tom and Jerry short, but man, honestly him breaking his whole entire leg is fortunate enough. I mean, somebody who's drunk and stumbling and bumbling around on suntan oil on the floor, he very easily could have landed on his head or hit his head on something. It's definitely one of those things that you do without clearly thinking through what could possibly happen. Our next story is a lawyer's petty revenge on an ex-client and his new lawyer. How's it going? It was Kurt. I didn't like talking to Kurt, but I couldn't help it. We'd been classmates in law school. Kurt had finished near the bottom and I near the top, but Kurt was doing great. And I was really struggling. 
I told Kurt I was doing okay. What do you got today? He asked. I had a bail hearing. I was starting to do more contested bail hearings because bail court was always packed and it was a great place to pick up clients. You show up, you fight for your client, and if you're lucky, you pick up another client and on a good day, maybe even two. Just the bail hearing, I said. What about you? I have five guilty pleas, said Kurt, not trying to keep the delight out of his voice. Wow, that's great, Kurt. Kurt was a dump truck. Back in the 90s, that's what we called lawyers like Kurt. Lawyers who knew no plea other than guilty. Kurt was going to plead five people guilty that day, and the legal aid plan was going to reward him handsomely for throwing his clients under the bus. He'd be leaving the courthouse a G-note richer in receivables. I've opened 20 files this month, he continued. Things are going really great. How about you? I'm doing okay, I said, and excused myself to do my crappy little bail hearing. I entered the courtroom and sat up front, waiting for things to get started. And while I waited, I wondered why Kurt had so many clients, and I had so few. Kurt went to law school as a mature student, in his mid-30s when we started, but around 40 now. Maybe his maturity helped him. He had a hint of gray at the temples, but I had no gray at all. Instead, I had a decidedly baby-faced look about me. Maybe that was it, I thought to myself. Maybe I should grow a beard or something, make myself look a bit older. Then court started and I sat around waiting for my client's case to be called. We didn't have smartphones back in those days, so I sat there and watched as the judge started to run through his docket. There were a few consents, an adjournment or two, a comically brief contested bail hearing that ended with a self-rep being sent back to the cells in a rage, and then it was my client's turn. I don't know this is contested, the prosecutor said. We're willing to grant bail on conditions. I explained that my client didn't want conditions other than to keep the peace and be of good behavior. The judge sighed and told the prosecutor to get on with it, so the prosecutor put the complainant on the stand, my client's ex-wife, and the court heard her tale of how my client had beaten her and tossed her down the porch steps at his house. When she finished, I got up to cross-examine. My client had told me a very different story about how his ex-wife went down the stairs and some more things besides. I believe you have a conviction for prostitution? That's how I began. I've always liked getting straight to the point. Yeah, but I got a pardon so it don't count, the so-called victim said. That was a pretty good start, and it got better when the woman admitted, after a bit of rough handling, to her chronic alcoholism, that she was excluded from all family events, that she knew she was unwelcome at her ex-husband's home, and the final kicker, that after leaving said ex-husband's house, she'd been arrested for drunk driving, and it was only at the station after she blew 145 that the cop noticed bruising and she told him all about what her evil ex-husband had done to her when she'd shown up for a family gathering. After I was done with her, I put my client's current wife on the stand, and I witnessed to everything including the so-called victim's drunken fall. And when she finished her testimony, the prosecutor leaned over to me and said that he'd be dropping the charges. A pretty good result for junior lawyer me, but not really because my client was factually innocent and the prosecutor's witness was about as bad as you get, but still, I was feeling proud of myself. Eat that, Kurt, I thought as I headed for the door. Eat that, you dump truck. I left the courtroom and headed for the lawyer's lounge to brag of my success. I felt a tap on my shoulder. I turned and saw an old guy. I need a lawyer, he said. He was maybe 50, which to me was pretty old. I recognized the man. He'd been in court for a change of bail conditions on consent. He'd been hanging around waiting for paperwork when the court recessed. I said, I remember you. You're the guy charged with destroying a house. 
I didn't totally destroy it. That was true in the sense that the house was still standing, but he'd taken a chainsaw to it and other tools as well and by the time the bank got him out of there, the place was a wreck. The man hadn't taken too kindly to being tossed out for not making the mortgage payments. I asked if he had any paperwork on him. He pulled out the original bail conditions, one of which was to keep his paperwork on him at all times. I glanced at it, charged with damaging a mortgagee's interest in a property. Interesting. Heard of that one, but never seen it. It's not fair, he said. I don't want to go to jail again. I asked him what was his prior conviction. That's just it. I already went to jail for this house thing. 15 days I got. The judge gave me 15 days last month. I said, what? The man said more words and then more, but his words were the scattered nonsense you hear from clients sometimes. The narrative out of order, the important facts buried under irrelevant nonsense. And in the end, it took me almost 30 minutes to get the full story out of him at the coffee shop around the corner. But by the time he finished, I was excited. I was more than excited. I was seriously stoked. So let me get this straight, I said. The bank noticed you were wrecking the house with power tools when they came to check things out. Right. He was about to start talking again, but I held up my hand. And when they saw what you were doing, they got a court order telling you to stop wrecking the house. Right. And I held up my hand again. And after you got that court order, you wrecked the house even more. As in, a lot more. I was pretty mad. Wouldn't you be if you were being kicked out of your own home? And when the bank saw that you'd breached the court order, they brought a motion for contempt. He said, yeah. And the judge, he gave me 15 days and I served the whole 15. No parole or nothing. That seemed harsh, but when I looked into things a bit later, I learned that it was true and that some prison officials thought that the usual parole rules didn't apply to those convicted of contempt. That's pretty harsh, I said. He said, do you think you can do something for me? We made an appointment for him to come to my office later that week, and after our appointment and receiving his retainer check, I started to dance around like a nut. I burst into Aaron's office. You'll never believe this, I said. I got a new case. Yeah, said Aaron, the lawyer I rented space from. He was in his mid-40s, technically married but on his way to a divorce, and locked in perpetual mortal combat with his ex. Do I get a piece, he said. Aaron's family law lawyer was super expensive. I shook my head. Nope, I landed this client on my own, and you'll never guess how I'm gonna plead him. He said, guilty? I said, of course not. I hated pleading clients guilty. It was a last resort sort of thing. I was at court to keep people out of jail, not help put them in. So, not guilty. Nope, I said. So, you got your first insanity plea. Congratulations. Aaron found me amusing and maybe a little weird. I'd been lawyering for almost three years by this point, but I had lost none of the glee that I started out with. I still haven't after more than 30 years. I said, nope, you'll never guess. Guess what? Said Dimitri, walking in to join us. He'd been promoted to Aaron's partner a year before. A big mistake on Aaron's part. That promotion is what started them both on the path to disbarment. I got this new case, and I'm gonna plead the guy autrefois convict. They stared at me blankly. I decided to educate them. Aside from the usual guilty or not guilty, there's two other pleas. Autrefois acquit and autrefois convict. You plead a guy autrefois convict if he's already been convicted of the thing he's charged with. When I'd learned about autrefois pleas in law school, I thought I'd never get a chance to do one. I'd never heard of anyone pleading it. It was just one of the zillion things I learned in law school that got shoved to the back of my brain as an interesting thing, but something that I'd never need. After all, 
How often do people get charged twice for the same thing? That's it, said Aaron. That's why you're excited? Because you're pleading this otter foy thing? Aaron didn't get it. Neither did Dimitri. When I got home that night, I told my wife all about it, and she didn't really get it either. Not being a lawyer, but she understood me and was happy for me, plus the $1,000 retainer. That made both of us happy. The following month, my client's case came up, and I was ready. I was stoked. I checked the list and saw that I'd drawn Judge Herman, also known as the Hermanator, but I didn't mind. The Hermanator was a real hard butt, but he respected good legal argument, and I had a good one that day. I walked into the lawyer's lounge and grabbed a cup of the crappy coffee that was always on tap. In less than an hour, I was going to be in a courtroom. I was going to plead my client autrefois convict, and when I said those words, jaws would drop, pens would stop writing, mouths would stop moving, and all heads would turn at the strange plea, so rarely heard in a courtroom. And everyone would look at the lawyer who had entered the unusual plea and they would say, who is this young lawyer, this new Robinette, this Greenspan, this Cicero, this... Hey, what do you have today? It was Kurt the dump truck. Kurt of the quick and dirty guilty pleas. Prosecutors loved Kurt. Judges loved Kurt. But defense lawyers hated him. And he was barely tolerated in the lawyer's lounge. A plea, I said, feeling smug. Just one? I've got six. That's a record for me. I only had five coming in, but I picked up another. I said, that's great, Kurt. Just great. Kurt's crap couldn't touch me today. I was pleading a guy autrefois convict and I didn't give a dang how well Kurt was doing or how badly my practice was struggling. I was in legal heaven, but I didn't enjoy Kurt's company, so I left him in the crappy coffee in the lawyer's lounge and went out into the hallways to find my client. I found him sitting on a bench outside the courtroom. We had a brief discussion. What do you mean you switched lawyers, I said. I talked to this guy, he said. What guy? He handed me a card, but before I looked at it, I knew what I would see. Kurt Mandrick, the card said, barrister, solicitor, and dump truck. But why, I asked, why would you want to switch lawyers on the day of your court case? I know the case inside out, I'm totally prepared, we're gonna plead you ultra fo- He said yeah, about that ultra whatever thing, Mr. Mandrick said he's never heard of it, that it's not really a plea, it's just gonna make the judge mad. Dump truck Kurt had never heard of the plea of ultra convict, and he'd infected the client with his ignorance. I tried to explain the autrefois convict plea again, but the client was locked in, and it's hard to shake a client who's locked in on some idiot notion. Yeah, so Mr. Mandrick says he gets along great with the judges and stuff, and he told me I'd walk out of there with no jail time for sure. Wait here, I said. I abandoned my client on the bench and headed back to the lawyer's lounge to have a short word with Kurt. When I opened the door to the lounge, there were a few of the older lawyers, the usual crowd. A couple of them were yakking away, another was making notes, over in the corner was Kurt. I didn't want to embarrass Kurt or anything like that, and besides, even at that young age I had already developed a wonderful sense of tact of how to handle difficult situations politely and calmly. What the freak, Kurt? I shouted. Pens stopped writing and mouths stopped moving and heads turned towards me. Kurt looked up at me, appalled. What the freak, I said again. You stole my client, the guy who wrecked his house. The older lawyers looked over in disapproval. I turned to them and pointed at Kurt. He stole my client right out in the hallway. I'm on the record, I've got a retainer and all that, and this freaker, this dump truck, stole my client and now he's gonna plead him guilty. He wants to plead guilty, Kurt said. Only because he's an idiot, I replied. 
I left the lawyer's lounge and headed back to where my client was waiting. I could hear the dump truck following me, and then Kurt and I fought it out in front of the client. An unseemly squabble. Embarrassing, really, especially considering that I lost, lost to Kurt. Kurt of the guilty plea, Kurt the dump truck. I was forced to admit defeat. Fine, I said, but I'm going to watch, gonna get my money's worth. What do you mean, the client said. I said, I'm keeping your retainer, you're not getting a penny back. Our squabble became louder and more unseemly, and it ended only when the doors opened and it was time to enter the courtroom and watch the Herminator dispense justice. I sat there for an hour, listening to adjournments and pleas, and then it was the turn of my former client and his new lawyer, Kurt. It was time for Kurt to work his magic. I watched as Kurt pleaded his man guilty, without negotiating with the prosecutor, without preparation, without anything at all. My client's a first offender, Kurt said, going on about his client's spotless reputation, about the client's moment of madness, his speedy regret, assurances that he would never do anything like that again. But this was Judge Herman's courtroom and Herman liked to draw blood. He gave the client 30 days. The client jumped to his feet, but the last time the judge only gave me 15. It's not fair. 15 days for what? said the judge. 15 days for wrecking a house. The judge turned to the prosecutor. I thought you said no priors. The prosecutor shook his head. Nothing that I can see. Well, said the judge, he's admitted to a prior and I'm entitled to believe an admission against interest. He turned back to the poor sap standing in the dock before him. I was going to give you 30, but seeing as you have a prior and for the same thing, all Kurt could manage was a feeble, but, 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 and then he turned and looked at me as if for rescue. He mouthed something to me. And to this day, I think he mouthed something like, what was that plea? But I ignored him. And I watched as the Herminator gave the client 60 days. The client began to speak, but it was the same style as he displayed in the coffee shop. A spew of meaningless words. The judge told him to shut up and sit down. When I walked out, Kurt was trying to get the judge to let his client serve his time on weekends, but the Herminator wasn't known for letting people serve time on weekends. And I didn't need to hear the rest. I went back to the lawyer's lounge and told everyone there the gory details and we all had a good laugh at Kurt's expense. When I got home that night, my wife asked how did the case go? The case with that special plea? It went great. Really great, I said and handed her a check for a thousand bucks. And it was great actually because that day, the older lawyers in the lounge treated me like a peer. I felt their respect. And that made it all worthwhile. I mean, does anybody else just kind of feel bad for the guy? The guy that was sentenced to 60 days when they potentially had an out? I mean, I guess they sunk themselves by believing Kurt's lies, but it was still kind of like an innocent person getting hurt. Our next story is, don't mess with old people. So this happened over 10 years ago, but still makes me smile when I think about it. I was with my boss, who was also my friend's father, going for lunch down on the water. At the time, he was in his late 60s, bad hip and suffered from COPD, at the time just diagnosed, so he couldn't walk very far. The process was initiated for an accessibility sticker, but he didn't have it yet. So we pull into the parking lot, and it's busy. He circled a couple times, spots someone leaving a spot close to the entrance, and waits for them to leave, giving a lot of room for them to do so. Just as he's about to pull in, a convertible Corvette whips into the spot. It was obvious we were waiting for it, signal was on. It was clearly a douchey move. Guy gets out and shrugs his shoulders like, you snooze, you lose. We find a spot, go in, and boss man says we're getting it to go. Okay, think nothing of it. 
We order burgers and fries to go. However, I noticed he ordered an extra large fry. Thought he was hungry. We walk out of the restaurant to the truck, and on the way, he dumps the extra fry on the front seat of the vet, which I found funny enough. What was even funnier was the 15 or so seagulls that swarmed the car. Moral of the story, don't mess with old people. They know more dirty tricks than you. I sure hope they got out of there quickly because I'll tell you one thing, it's probably pretty obvious who the people were that dumped those fries there. Our next story is blocking two pumps at the gas station and giving a finger? Let's see how much you like being blocked and waiting. The story of backing up in the gas station reminded me of one of my own when a jerk driver in front of me took the second closer pump in the line when the first one was free. So I would have to wait until he finishes and pays while the pump in front of him would be free for the whole time. All the other lines were taken too, but no other cars in line. The station was actually quite empty otherwise. It was late in the evening, so it was doubly so infuriating to wait on a nearly empty station unnecessarily. I honked at him to move to the pump in front, but he gave me a finger. Later noticed he had some lady inside the car, maybe a date he wanted to impress and assert dominance, I don't know. So if you want to play it this way, it was actually possible to back up, go around through a lane for large trucks. There was no truck at the time, but I couldn't use the pump because the hose noses are thicker and pull back to the free place in front of the guy. I made sure to back up very sloppy. It wasn't convenient and easy to back up there after all, to the extent the guy would have no way to go around me. And then I took my sweet time. I took a full tank, obviously. Also putting the additive first, and not hurrying at all, quite the opposite. When I finished filling the tank and went to pay, the guy was already back in his car but couldn't go as he had to wait for me to clear the space. Also, the previously free line for large trucks was blocked now. A truck came, so he couldn't get around like I did previously. So he had to wait, and boy had he waited. Unfortunately, for him, I also needed to use the bathroom also taking my time, plus was in a need to buy some snacks, so I had to go back to the counter again. I heard some honking from the outside already halfway in my trip, after like 5 minutes, but it still took me about another 5 minutes to complete everything I needed to do to get back to my car. I actually checked that no one was waiting behind him, just the guy waiting for me. The other lanes were still being blocked, but the station was otherwise quite empty. I then walked slow to my car, of course I had to put the snacks to the proper place and adjust my seatbelt properly before leaving. At this time, the guy was honking constantly but still couldn't get around. But I actually didn't give him a finger like he did before, as I thought it wasn't even necessary at this point. The cherry on top was that there were traffic lights at the exit from the station, and I managed to catch just before the red, but the piece of crap had to stop. He couldn't go on the red because of the incoming traffic from the other directions. Which was good because there might be expected some road rage from his side otherwise, but this way he never caught up and I never saw him again. This is a great and understandable revenge, but I feel like, why is it most times somebody does a revenge like this? You can't even end up having like the revenge story to share because you end up having like five people that'll pull in behind this guy and all of a sudden you are the hugest jerk in the world for possibly blocking a gas lane. Like somehow the world works against you and you turn into the villain you worked so hard to fight against. Or like the clerk at the counter starts getting all fussy with you saying, come on, move your car. One of those situations where you put your hands up and you're like, but he did it to me. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome revenge story, check out that video on the left. 
Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.